here this morning, I would bet, even this past week, whether you know Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, you have fought a battle with sin. Um, there's a part of us, because of our rebellion against God, that uh, clings to us and wants to get us to live contrary to his ways and to his kingdom. But brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that what Jesus did on that cross is infinitely greater than what you will ever do, ever. Whether it be good or bad, the Bible says in a lot of ways we're not even condemned by our bad deeds, we're condemned by our good ones. The Bible says that even our righteousness is as filthy rags. No matter where you're at or what you've done this past week, Jesus' accomplishment on that cross, taking all the darkness of the sin of the world upon himself is enough if you will just simply trust in him. Just trust him. We are justified by faith apart from the works of the law, and we have been set free from sin and the enemy. Father, we just pray this morning that as we just continue to worship you through your word, as we listen to testimonies, as we all witness this actual act of baptism that your word commands us to do. Father, I, ju I just pray that you would bring your newness. Bring your newness of life. I pray that grace would not just be a term or a concept, but that it would be a reality in our hearts. I pray that the washing and cleansing that's going to be symbolized in the baptism today would, would not just be outward, but that it would be inward. That if anyone has come in here this morning and they feel right now, even in your presence because of their sin, if they feel dirty, Father, that they would leave feeling cleansed, but more importantly, knowing that they are cleansed because of the promises of your word and what you did for us on that cross. Just have your way today, Lord. Thank you so much that we get to gather and that we get to worship you. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Thank you for being here. Hey, we're going to get into the word a little bit this morning. Obviously, we are having a baptism service this morning. So I'm going to try to keep it a little bit short, but before I just explain some things about why we do baptism, what it represents, what it means, who it's for, um, why it matters, uh, the short version is, is that what you're going to see here towards the end of the service is some people get into the tank, they're going to sit down in the water, we're going to dunk them down, and we're going to bring them back up, and that's something that Jesus commanded us to do because it's a picture, it's an out outward representation of an inward reality that Christ has accomplished through the miracle of his word and his spirit in their hearts. And so one of the things that, that these folks that are going to get baptized today are committed to is giving public testimony to the fact that they're no longer their own, but that they've been bought with a price and that Jesus Christ has made them new, not by their own efforts, not by their good works, but by his grace and by his grace alone. And so um, we've got a couple of them this morning that are going to share just in a little bit more detail about their testimonies, about how this process kind of happened a little bit in their lives. And so I'm going to invite them up right now uh, to share a little bit. And so Dorothy, where are you, Dorothy? Dorothy Hosteller, come on up, my friend. And Dorothy's going to share a little bit of her story. It's always a little bit nerve-wracking to come up here on the stage and these light, I'm surprised that I'm not blind yet because they kind of burn your retinas um, as they shine down on you. So can we all just clap for Dorothy for being brave to get up here and share this morning? There you go, my friend. Thank you. Great. I'm super nervous. 
Okay, I want to thank everyone for coming out today. It really does mean a lot to us that you're here celebrating with us. Um, yeah, Christ is for us, guys. And um, I just want to share my testimony. It's nothing big, um, but yeah, I just felt led as if I have to share it. And I want to start with a prayer because um, yeah, we have to come. God, we have to come to God in prayer, and it just helps us. Uh, so I'll bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your saving grace, God. Um, we thank you that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. And we just thank you that it's not of works that we are saved, but it's by grace. And Lord, I just pray that we will live in that grace, um, that we will live um, in your Holy Spirit as believers. Your Holy Spirit is alive in us today, God. And I just pray that um, we can look forward to your um, to the heavenly home we have waiting for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, all right, so even though I grew up in a Christian home and knew God was present in my life, I allowed a lot of my circumstances to keep me from a personal relationship with him. I grew up Amish with my mom, dad, three brothers, and two sisters. And we left the Amish before I started first grade. And I remember asking the Lord into my heart at church when I was young. And I would say from that moment um, up until two years ago, there was no fruit in my life. I still had a hold of control that I wanted. I did not want to let it go. And um, even in the midst of that, uh, the Holy Spirit was present in my life. And I was always drawn to do the right thing. And um, I always... It was hard for me because people would always think, oh, you're a goody two-shoes, or you don't, you don't live. Um, but that was the spirit in me, and I wasn't aware of it until not long ago um, because I had never really heard about the spirit moving in us. And uh, some of the most painful experiences in my life have been I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer when I was 10, and my oldest sister had been diagnosed with a mental disability. And when all that happened, I was angry with God. I questioned him so much. And it was, there was just a lot of anger in me. And I distanced myself from my oldest sister when um, I saw what had happened to her because I couldn't really relate to her. And whenever I was around her, I didn't say nice things. And um, I realized that my attitude was not the way it should have been if I truly was following Christ. And in high school, I also struggled with comparison and jealousy. I saw what everyone else had, and it just seemed like I didn't have that, and I just wanted it. And um, after high school, I moved out with my sister, and I started the job that I'm, I started the job that I'm at now. And um, eventually, I put way too much pressure on me, and I just broke down. I shut down. I could not get out of bed. I, I had no desire to do anything. And I remember crying out to God in those moments. And I believed a lot of lies in the past. Um, and one of them was that I'm not worthy of love. And um, there were so many more. And I just did not 
I couldn't stand against Satan when he came at me with those lies. But when I was at my worst, I cried out to God, and he came through. He, he brought me out of it, and I didn't think I could ever get out of it. And um, I knew in that moment that it was time for me to trust him with my own life instead of praying that he'll fix everyone around me. And I couldn't rely on the fact that I was raised to be a Christian, to be the deciding factor of my salvation. And I needed to give him complete control. And I couldn't go on in my own strength at all because you could see that I was very weak at that moment. And he saved me when I thought I was already saved. And before truly knowing Christ, uh, even though I grew up going to church and I was surrounded by Christians, I did not appreciate the relationships God gave me. I was angry a lot, and as I mentioned before, and I allowed my emotions to control me. And I blamed everyone but myself when, some, when something went wrong. Um, and I let my righteousness blind me from my sin. And um, I would definitely say I had a workspace faith. I was afraid of messing up um, or others seeing anything not normal in my life. I lacked God's love that believers are supposed to echo. And once I was genuinely able to grasp the redemptive power of Christ's death on the cross and God's willingness to send his son in my place, only then could I see myself and those around me as worthy of love. Not any kind of love that I could try to offer on a human, lev on a human level, but rather the love that flows from the Holy Spirit in light of Christ's sacrifice. And so after I began seeking Christ intentionally, he made me aware of the sin in my life. Before, I thought I had done nothing wrong because I never, I never did what others could see, and my sin was within. In my um, worst moment, that breakdown that I had two years ago, he gave me hope, and he reassured, he reassured me of the people in my life, um, some people that just came to me during that time, and they were just a blessing. And he made me feel welcome with this church. Um, I started coming not, I was about, it was last summer that I started coming regularly, and it looked daunting um, trying to get involved in a church on my own, but um, the Lord just worked everything out according to his time. I joined a small church, and then I became a partner, and I got involved. I'm being discipled right now, but I'm also in a discipleship class, and um, I also have the opportunity to help on the media, and just, yeah, everything started falling into place, and I just didn't think it would ever be possible, and he gave me a desire to read, study, and journal his word. He opened my eyes to see the testimony shared in the Bible in a new way. I had grown up hearing Bible stories all the time, and I was so used to them that I didn't really take the time to think about them, but um, Paul being saved, uh, he was, his past was a mess, but God chose to save him, and um, in the parable of the prodigal son, the younger brother rejected his father publicly, but the older brother rejected his father in pride. And so I could definitely relate with the older brother much more. And there's so much that I still have to read in God's word and reread. Um, I'm wanting to get into the Old Testament a bit. 
or a lot actually because it's pretty big. <laughs> and yeah, he just continues to remind me that I need to daily put his put my faith in him. And now that God has revealed me revealed to me that he is my heavenly father and that my identity is in Christ, I don't have to dwell on the past. I try to go to him first, whether that be in prayer or his word or another believer when I doubt. And I'm reading his word almost every day. And when I miss a day or more, then I notice that my attitude isn't the way it should be. And he makes me, he makes me aware of his presence. And I sense him in the small things. And often what I'm reading in the Bible, it, has to, um, it relates in some way or another what's going on in my life at the moment. And I don't try to control my life as much. And um, yeah, I've just been praying that the Lord will help me love those around me. And a scripture that came to me um, as I'm saying that prayer is John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Um, so before Christ, I allowed the fear of what others thought of me and the fear that no one will show up for me to keep me from pursuing what God would want me to. And so now today, I'm getting baptized. And before, you know, that was a lot of pressure. I felt like that I just put on myself because I didn't think I was perfect, but I'm not perfect. And yet I'm still getting baptized. Um, and... Um, yeah, he came to save a sinner like me, and because of his sacrifice on the cross, I am free. I'm free to choose to serve him. When I mess up, he doesn't love me any less. And I just have to be reminded that my salvation is a daily practice, and I need to daily seek him. And, yeah, I couldn't do this without God rescuing me from my own spiritual blindness. And so I want to wrap this up with a verse to encourage us all as believers because we are prompted to sin. Uh, Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For, you live, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Um, so through the Holy Spirit, I can overcome the desires of my flesh, and uh, I proclaim that I am a child of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And as a believer, I'm called to suffer for Christ. My faith is in God, and to him be the glory. Thank you. Wonderful.
Awesome. God's good, amen? Tanya, Yoder, you're somewhere. Oh, there you are in the front row. You can see where you were at. Can we welcome Tanya, please? Yeah? There you go, my friend. Good morning. Um, yes, I am Tanya, and I'm actually going to be reading most of mine off. It's pretty short, um, but yeah, I'm just going to read most of it off. Um, I'm just going to share a small piece of my story. This morning is actually the second time I'm being baptized. I know I was baptized before, but I don't really remember it. Um, because of abuse and trauma that I went through as a child, I don't remember most of my life. I went to church, grudgingly followed most of the rules, and pretended to be a Christian for years. Up until January of this year, I had never truly been saved. I'm absolutely not asking you to doubt your salvation, but what I am saying is that you can sit in, your, in church your whole life and not be saved. Christ wants your heart. He really wants a relationship with you. I went through years of depression, and having, after having our second child, I would say I hit rock bottom. I had severe postpartum depression. The day I got saved in January, I quit taking my prescription meds. I know for some, I know for some medical intervention is needed, and I'm absolutely not downplaying that. Depression is a very real thing. For me, it was a spiritual issue, and I knew that. God worked a huge miracle, and I can now say I have more good days than bad. During some of those hard days, I would remember how, how we had been given Amara's name. While I was pregnant, I had a dream that she would be a girl and we, we should name her Amara. We didn't even know it was a name, but we looked it up and it means God's grace. Looking back, sorry, I can see how God's grace was always pursuing me. Even on those dark days, he never left. I just want, you, want to encourage you with one verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Those dark days were filled with fear, but that wasn't from God. Often our battles start in our mind, but God alone can give us a sound mind. And this verse is such a wonderful promise. Awesome. God's grace, um, it's kind of hard to define sometimes, like to give a, a textbook definition of what it is. Um, but I'll tell you what, it is pretty easy to spot in the lives of people that have embraced it, amen? And, uh, and that's what you just got to witness. Like each one of us has a story and, and it's different and it's unique. And there are no two people the same, but our need is the same and that we need rescued 
from our own sin. Uh, and the answer is the same. And that is the grace that is provided in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Uh, what I want to do for just a few minutes is just explain really just kind of the nuts and bolts of baptism. Because I think that what you're about to witness and what these four people are about to experience as they go into the water and come back up is going to be powerful to the degree that we understand what it is, okay? Um, and so if we don't understand the why and we don't understand what it is, then it's just gonna look like a bunch of people sitting in a feed trough getting wet. But that's not what it is. It's more than that. So I just wanna talk about why we do it, how we do it, who it's for, and what it represents or what it means. So just very quickly, number one, why do we do it? Here's the answer, Jesus commanded it. There are two ordinances that Jesus Christ has given to the church for the last 2,000 years. He, he died, he really came. I know if you go to Mercy Hill, you hear me say this all the time, but it's a fact, it's not a fairy tale. He really came 2,000 years ago to a place in the Middle East, the land of Israel, born of a virgin, really lived, really died, really rose again. And for the last 2,000 years, he has been building his church. The church is made up of everybody who has put their faith and trust in him alone for salvation. You become part of his body, part of his family, part of his bride. It's a supernatural event that is included in your salvation. That at the moment of salvation, you are placed into the body of Christ. You become part of his bride. You become part of his family. He becomes your father, Okay. And for the last 2,000 years, um, as he's been building his church, he gave the church two ordinances. They are the Lord's Supper and baptism. The Lord's Supper is something that, you know, of course, we partake in the bread uh, and of the juice or the wine, and it represents the Lord's broken body and his shed blood. And both of these ordinances that he's given, they are pictures. They are outward pictures. They are outward through acts, not just words, but through an act. It is a proclamation of the gospel. That when we take communion, we are saying that we need to take of Christ's broken body, and we need to eat it, and it needs to come into us. And you guys know that little saying, you are what you eat. Like it literally becomes a part of you. Now, I'm not talking about the physical bread that we take. It's just a representation. But in the same way, we partake of Christ by faith. And what salvation is and what the Christian life is, what discipleship is, is that by faith, we partake of him, the real bread that came down from heaven, and we trust him. And we take him in and we need to digest all that he is until our life becomes his. This is what Paul said. He said, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so outwardly, we don't partake in these things of whether you know, communion, the Lord's Supper, or baptism and think that there's salvation in that. But they represent salvation. And it's a picture of salvation. And every time that we partake in it, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. And we're eating it until, until he comes. And when we baptize people, we are proclaiming what he does, what he does, the miracle that happens in the human heart. Because we can't see it. It's inward. Tanya and Dorothy look the same as they do now before, as, as before they got saved. They look the same outwardly, but they are new because there's been a miracle that has taken place in their hearts. And so God has given us these things to be an outward picture of what has happened inwardly. And so we do it because the Lord commanded it. And for, we stand with, with not just Christ's command first and foremost, but with his people for the last 2,000 years all over the world throughout history that have publicly proclaimed, I belong to Christ. I'm made new. 
That's why we do it. Who is it for? It is for those who believe, okay? If you're familiar with these theological terms, we believe in credo-baptism, not pedo-baptism. Pedo meaning, meaning infant, credo meaning our, our creed, our belief, that this is for everybody who has believed in Jesus Christ. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of Bible verses for you quickly. Acts 2, 41, it says that all those who received his word, who believed the word that Peter had just preached, all those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to their number about 3,000 souls that day. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news, so when they believed as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were baptized. They believed, and then they were baptized. Acts chapter 10 Peter gets done preaching a sermon. It says, while he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all, all those who heard the word. And the believers among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles. Up until this point in church history, the, the gospel had, uh, had primarily been just kind of a Jewish thing. It was primarily just a Jewish church. But Jesus came to save all people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. It says, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So just to be clear, they're not going to receive the Holy Spirit by this outward act. It's because they have received the Holy Spirit. Especially as, as Dorothy mentioned, coming into her life and changing her. It's because she's already received it that we're going to symbolize that today um, in obedience to the Lord's command. So we do it because God commanded it. It is for all those who believe. If you do not believe in Jesus and you were going to go through this act, you would just be sitting in a feed trough getting wet. But see, faith changes everything. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14 that whatever is not from faith, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please him. First John says that this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Not just faith in something that we make up, but in the object of our faith, in Jesus Christ, and in his word and what he says to be true. That changes everything. Who's your faith in this morning? Who are you trusting? How do we do it? Okay, again, just kind of nuts and bolts. We do it by what is called immersion. We don't sprinkle, we don't pour. We give freedom for this on, for other churches, I know in different traditions. Um, you know, there's maybe different, different modes of baptism. You would call this, let me explain why we do it the way we do it. Number one, this is, I believe, the way very clearly that it was done in the Bible, okay? Um, Mark <coughs> chapter one, it says that John, this is John the Baptist, appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in all the country of Judea and in all Jerusalem, they were going out to him and were being baptized by him in in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, this is really technical, but if you're nerdy and like this stuff, I'll share it with you. Uh, but the little Greek word here that's used is en, it's translated in. There is another word that they could have used if it would have been translated by, as if he was just by the river, but he wasn't. He wasn't by the river, he was in the river. That's how they were baptizing. The word that's always uh, translated baptized in the New Testament is the Greek word baptizo, so pretty direct translation. English word baptism from the Greek word baptizo. It literally means to be submerged, okay? There's, uh, there's evidence in other uh, wider Greek literature of ships that would sink. Those ships, they said, were baptized, okay? So if it just rains or it just sprinkles on a ship, that ship is not baptized. It is baptized when it goes under. And so we're going to take them under. We're going to bring them back up. 
In uh, John chapter 3, it says Jesus was baptizing with his disciples in the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because the water was plentiful there, okay, because there was a lot of water. It's a river or a lake. In Acts chapter 8, Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch, it says that the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you does this prophet say? Philip was reading to him from the prophet Isaiah. It says about himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So it starts with the gospel and the eunuch believes. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? It wasn't enough. He would have undoubtedly had like a little, you know, uh, water bottle of some sort. You know, back in that day, that wasn't enough. They had to stop till they, or wait till they came to a body of water. And then immediately he was baptized and Philip took him down into the water and he baptized him. And so that is how we do it. And that's why we do it how we do it. And, but most importantly, the reason we do it how we do it is because of what it represents, okay? And so what it means. And there's several, there's several things, but, but there's a couple primary ones that I want to touch on here briefly. What is it that this represents? It represents that everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as these four have this morning, they have trusted him. This reality has happened, is that they have died with Christ, and they have been raised with him. That they have died with him, and they have been raised with him. That when they put their faith and trust in Christ, Christ's death on the cross became their death. It's a miracle. And this only happens, we are only justified in this way by faith and by faith alone in Jesus Christ. You cannot earn it, folks. You cannot earn it. I don't care how long you go to church. I don't care how many Bible studies you go to. I don't care how much scripture you can recite. Salvation is only, ever, always, by the free, unmerited grace of God. All those who will simply call upon him. If you are here this morning and you don't know where you would spend eternity, you can leave knowing. You can leave knowing. What could be better than that? that you could walk out those doors today, even though you might look the same outwardly, you can leave new. If you will just simply put your faith and trust in him, you're like, man, that seems like a really kind of simple or simplistic act. Is that really enough? It is enough, because here's the deal, just like I said earlier, it's not ultimately about what you do. Yes, you need to trust him. Yes, you need to repent. Acknowledge that you can't save yourself and turn to him, call out to him. But it's not about ultimately what you do, it's about what he did. That his act on that cross was enough if you will simply just trust it. Romans chapter six, Paul, after arguing through the first five chapters of Romans, talking about how it is only by faith that we are justified. And it's only by grace. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in, the, live in it? Then he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now he's talking about here, uh, again, we're going to do a physical baptism. But at the moment of salvation, you were spiritually baptized. 
That the Holy Spirit is the one that came upon you and washed you and cleansed you and now lives in you. And literally, although this is kind of hard for us to understand, it killed a part of you. Where you once were, were dead already, but you were kind of like a zombie. You were living dead, if you will. The Holy Spirit comes in and he crucifies the spirit part of you. The part of you that is eternal. And immediately in killing you, he also raised you new with Christ. Is that we are body, soul, and spirit. And the baptism that occurs that is supernatural, that changes us, that brings us this newness of life, happens in our spirit. And Paul says, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. Again, spiritual baptism by faith, just simply when we trust him. This is the miracle that happens. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That his death, yes, was the payment for our sin, but his death would not have been enough. Because we also needed new life. We not only needed a a penalty paid for our sin, but we needed a new life, a new righteousness that we previously did not have. And that righteousness was given us in Christ. This is why it would not have worked for Jesus just to come and to somehow die for our sins as like a little child. He needed to live a full life of perfect obedience to the Father, totally sinless, which is exactly what he did. And when you put your faith and trust in him, not only does his death become your death, but his righteousness becomes your righteousness. And that might not seem like good news, but I would just say that if that doesn't seem like good news, then you've never really tried to be righteous. Because if you've tried for any period of time to be righteous, I mean to truly be righteous and to live a perfect sinless life before an almighty holy God, aware of your sin, aware of your rebellion, man, it will drive you to hopelessness quicker than anything else. And it's why if if you've ever tried to do that, that the gospel is such good news. It is so precious. Because Christ's righteousness now covers me, and I am made perfect in him. Yes, I still struggle with sin, but greater is he who's within me than he who's in the world. And when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness over and over and over and over again. It's not that we get re and re and re and re re-saved over and over and over again. But I think Dorothy, I forget the little phrase that Dorothy used in her testimony, that there is a part of it where it's daily surrender. It's daily that we, that we walk in with him. And we experience this newness of life. Colossians chapter 2 says that when we trusted him, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. <laughs> One of my favorite, uh, I don't know, it, passages in the Bible in John chapter 11 um, the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Uh, He's dead for four days to the place where his sister Martha, when Jesus says, roll away the tomb, (laughs) if you have the King James Version, version, it says, Lord, do you not know that he stinketh (laughs) by now? He wasn't just dead, he was dead. He was stinketh dead. Jesus says, roll away the stone. Of course, he comes, says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth. Um, And then a little while later in John's gospel, this is hilarious, and it just shows the futility of man and of man's thinking. It says that the Pharisees, 
were plotting to put Jesus to death. Think about this. But they weren't just, they weren't just plotting to put Jesus to death. They were also plotting to put Lazarus to death. Lazarus, who had already died and had just been raised from the dead. Now, the reason I say that's so ridiculous is if you're Lazarus, are you scared? I already did that, bro. Been there, done that. Bring it. That's what his death and resurrection accomplishes for us pain, suffering, death. You're going to take from me everything in this life. In Christ, not in my own arrogance or pride, but in Christ, bring it. Because I've died with him, and I've been raised, and nothing can separate me from his love. Not only does it represent death and resurrection, but it represents a washing and a cleansing. In Acts chapter 22, Paul's recounting his testimony. He says, and why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. In Titus chapter 3, just a, oh man, just a packed passage of unbelievable truth. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I was camping just one night with a bunch of ninth through 12th grade boys on Friday night and Saturday, little mini retreat. None of them showered Friday night. I showered in an RV, but it was very cold and I kind of got in and got out. And man, they smelled. They smelled. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> they were dirty. But man, if you've ever been in that situation where maybe you haven't showered for a while, does it not feel so good to be able to get clean? Yeah? <laughs> you know that feeling? I used to be a roofer, and when we used to tear off slate roofs, there's just this fine, like micro-fine dust that would just settle over you. And I'd take a shower and everything would be black and I'd think it'd be washed away and I'd get back out and Hannah would go, ha uh-uh, you ain't sitting on my furniture. Go back and take another shower. Because I would still, it would just, I just couldn't get it all off. But man, when Jesus Christ washes you, when he washes you, when he cleanses you, just one time, just one time, you are clean. And see, that, that, that idea of being dirty being clean, it's, it, it so becomes a part of our identity, doesn't it? That if you've lived in the filth and the dirtiness of sin, as all of us have to varying degrees, we, you, there's a, like, it can almost become part of your identity, that you, that you feel dirty just constantly. And, and if you were really honest at times, and, and if somebody was to ask you, well, who are you? You would actually maybe even want to say, although we probably wouldn't because we'd be embarrassed, that I'm, I'm dirty. It's who I am, but not in Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you simply trust him, 
There's no part of your life, of your past, that he cannot cleanse, and that he cannot make new because of what he did on that cross. And those two things together, death and resurrection, and being washed and being cleansed, this is, this is what creates our new identity, our new identity in Christ. Um, is that, again, these folks that are going to get baptized, we're going to take them down and bring them up, but they're not going to be new because of that. They're going to be new, and they already have a new identity in what Christ has done. And when I talk about newness, I, it, it's new in two different ways. Something can be new in the sense of time, but it can also be new in the sense of, of quality. This theater is kind of a good example of both, is that, you know, Mercia, we've been going for like six and a half years. We moved four different times in four years. Um, we were at uh, Walnut Creek Elementary, the New Grounds Cafe, and then the old theater up where the old flea market was, and then this one. And, and like when, when this, was, with it, this was built, it was, it was new in the, sense that it, in, in the sense of time. It had not existed before, okay? It was, once was not, and now, and now it is. But it was also new in terms of quality. So sort of just the, I don't know, just the niceness of it, the aesthetic of it, uh, the sound, the lighting, you know, all this, all this different stuff. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, you once were blind, but now you see. Um, the old has passed away, and all things have become new. And that's going to be true even when you die and go to be with Jesus in heaven someday if you've trusted in him. Uh, even your body one day is going to be redeemed. You are going to be totally, completely made new. And I just, I just ask you this morning, again, very straightforward, very simple. If you've grown up in church, I, I hope that you've heard this before because it's, it's foundational and central to all that the Bible teaches um, about salvation. But my question to you this morning is, do you know do you know that you have newness of life? Because you can't make yourself new. Folks, you can't do it. And so many people spend so much of their life trying to make themselves new. But left to ourselves apart from Christ, we are only passing away. My two oldest boys, well, all of them really, they're driving me nuts right now because they can eat and eat and eat nothing but sugar and they stay skinny. Me, on the other hand, my body is passing away. <laughs> the more I eat, the more I pack, and it's just, and it's just, and it's just a fight. But it's kind of like my, my fight to try to stay skinny or to, or to lose weight. It's like so many people engage in that same fight in regards to their spiritual life. Like if you're older and you can't just eat nothing but sugar and your metabolism just burns it off, like, but if, like if you're older, getting old, like I am, like, you know that fight I'm talking about. It's like, you're gonna try to eat this or limit your you know, calories or carbs. And you're just constantly trying to do this, but you just, it just feels like you're not getting anywhere. That's the same way it is if you're trying to make yourself new spiritually, if you're trying to make yourself righteous before God. Brothers and sisters, it is, it is endless, and let me just burst your bubble and just, like, you're going to fail. You cannot accomplish it. It is a miracle. It is a miracle that only God does. 
And I have no idea why any of us would want to live in the oldness, in the futility of what only we can produce rather than in the newness of what Christ can give us. Amen? Worship team, you can come up. We're going to close. If you're getting baptized, wink, wink, that's your signal. Go back and get changed. We will baptize you here shortly. Uh, just, just one more quick, I guess, closing illustration. Um, when I was like 14, 15, me and a bunch of my buddies, we had mopeds. And man, we truly, we truly thought we were cool. We weren't, but we thought we were. We had like a moped gang. 22 miles an hour, down the road. My mom made me wear this big helmet. I mean, it was like massive. It was like so big. I, thought, I still thought I was cool. I was not cool. Um, and the most ridiculous thing in the world for us, though, even though we thought we, we were cool when we had our mopeds, the most ridiculous thing in the world would have been when we turned 16 and then could get our license and get a car if we would have continued to drive the moped. Right? So we thought we were cool cruising around dun, 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 you know, on our mopeds. But man, when we turned 16, <laughs> when we got our license... We wanted to put the mo we didn't even, we, we just wanted to forget that we ever had a moped because now we had a car. Brothers and sisters, I, put the old life away. Put the moped away. Put your own efforts away. You, you, don't, you don't have to. You just don't have to. Christ freely offers it to you this morning right where you sit. I would love to pray with you, but you, you don't have to pray with me. There's one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Jesus Christ. You don't have to seek out any special preacher or any special bishop or pastor or whatever. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. You have to deal with him, and you can deal with him right where you sit this morning. If you will simply put your faith and trust in him. All those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved because God always keeps his promises. The one who made the promise went through death, died for you, and now lives forever, eternally. Not just to save you now in a moment, but to see you all the way through to the end. Because that death thing, he's been there. He's done that. And now he lives to give you life. So Father, I just, I just pray this morning, Lord, as we continue to worship through singing, as we continue to worship through this act, this ordinance that you've given. Oh God, if anybody's here this morning and they're not made new, would you just make them new right now? Would you please just save them? Let them call upon you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys stand with me and we'll sing.